Hello, and welcome to the third episode of The Diode, a series of short pulps written and read by myself, Simon Lacey. Today we're concluding the book, Billy Blue, so if you're just jumping in right now and you want to see what's happened up to this point, check out the previous episode. If you don't care, hop right in. Right now, Chuck has just entered Titan's Wharf and is about to play his first game of Blue Man Blue. So without further ado, Billy Blue, The Conclusion. Once we left the coat check room, we located a staircase. It was pitch black climbing up to the next level. I could only hear my feet grinding slightly on the steps. The stairs opened up into a huge lofty room. One wall was covered in a single large window pane, and broken sewing machines covered in cobwebs filled the rest of the room. Billy gave me the get low sign as we walked out into the dim blue light. We walked around the room to the next flight of stairs, our footsteps echoing out into the empty chamber. It's pitch black again as we ascend. The next level had more sewing machines on it. I can start to see my breath in front of me. The air is tasting stagnant. I follow Billy out of the sewing room and into a hallway that feeds into a bunch of offices. My fingers are white knuckled around the gun, and behind me I hear a low growl. We both turn and see a dog that has woken up. Shh, nice doggy, Billy says, as the dog flexes its spine. Billy beats him to it, though. She pounces on the dog, throwing one hand over its mouth, clamping it shut. She wraps her legs around the dog, then, as efficiently as a medieval barber, slices its throat. She lets go of the mouth and relaxes her legs. The dog takes a few defeated steps away from Billy and collapses on the floor. Billy wipes her mouth off with her forearm, then cleans the blade off and resheathes it in her back pocket. We walk into the second-to-last office. Rays of moonlight emanated by the fog drag the edges of the dusty broken glass window across the room. The desk in the office has been pushed up against the bottom of the window, and a board has been laid on it that stretches out into a foggy void beyond the building. This way! She says, indicating that the board was the desired path. She hops upon the desk, ducks under the jagged glass, and walks out onto the board. Holding her arms out like a gymnast on a balancing beam, she crosses out into the open space. I move to catch up with her. I don't want to lose sight of her and risk becoming a pork sausage. I hop upon the desk and dip under the glass. Stepping out of the window, the board begins to creak. The street lies about 40 feet below me. Someone has started a barrel fire on the corner of the block, but no one has huddled around it. It just burns, giving an orange glow in this misty blue night. Billy disappears into the window on the other side of the street. I spread my arms out like she did to keep my balance, but the board is no wider than my boot. It creaks and begins to bow under my weight. I just stare straight ahead, focusing on each step. The board starts to make awful cracking noises, so I speed up my pace. I lose my balance, 
and I leap, reaching for the windowsill, as I smash awkwardly through the window pane. Fuck, Chuck. We have to move. Someone definitely heard that, Billy says, as I'm on the floor in shattered glass. Billy takes off at a light quiet jog. She weighs only about a hundred pounds and wears these quiet loafers. I do my best to do the same. We're running through a long low room with repeating rectangular windows that face the street. Pow, pow! A window explodes next to Billy as she flattens to the ground. I'm about twenty paces behind her lying on the floor. She points her two fingers at her eyes and then points to me and then the window next to me. I start shimmying over to the window. I put my back up against the wall of this long, low room and roll over to peek out. Pow, pow, pow! This guy is going nuts. Bits of glass and brick are spraying my face. Billy quickly swivels up to a knee and has her gun holstered at her shoulder. Despite being a stock action rifle, Billy gets off two shots in less than a second. There's a pause as Billy stays perfectly still, staring down her scope. She looks back at me. <laughs> Come on, let's go check out this stiff. She says, pulling me by my hand. We make our way to the bottom floor of the building. The building that the sniper was in was the one next to the red portal. Okay, this is usually the dangerous part, she says. People watch fresh kills, so we gotta be extra careful. We descend the stairs of the building we're in and make it to an empty window frame. The night has picked up a gentle breeze. The sound of the barrel fire down the street echoes through the night. Billy leans against the wall on one side of the empty window. I mirror her, scraping out the dark skyline, trying to see any signs of danger. The blue fog limits visibility, which is a plus and a minus. Okay, I think it's clear. We start to jog across the street, but it wasn't clear. A distant pocking starts as soon as we dash out, and about one second later after a zipping noise, a piece of the ground explodes. Billy dives through the window that's on the opposite side of the street. I do a huge lunge, trying to follow her. Inside the building, we sit on the dirty floor, our blue vests puffing in and out, trying to catch our breath in the dim moonlight. Suddenly, as if something got her attention, she snaps abruptly up. Let's get out of here, she says. We stand up, making our way into the building. I think he's on the fourth floor, she says, leading the way. She didn't seem concerned with the sniper that was just trying to kill us, probably because he was too far away to do anything right now. We make our way up to the fourth floor. Okay, Billy said as she walked down the hallway, checking each room. Here he is. And there he was. The room was empty, save for the man awkwardly flipped backwards in the center of it, chilling in a pool of blood. Hey, check that out. She says, pointing to the two holes in the man's chest that were only about six inches apart. Billy starts digging through his vest and takes out the wad of pink sheets and stuffs it in hers. Damn, check this out. She says, holding up his gun quietly. It was a cold 35 with a small scope attachment on top of it. Billy stuffs it in the back of her pants, rummaging through the rest of him. She finds a buck knife. Here, you can keep this. She says, handing me the knife. Thanks. Well, that's Blue Man Blue, she says. You feel comfortable enough to go alone from here? I suppose so. Just don't shoot me. I'll go in opposite directions so we don't run into each other. Okay, so I can't just stay with you for the rest of the night? It sort of defeats the purpose of the game, Billy says. Yeah, I guess so. She runs over to me and takes me by the hands and kisses me, pressing her body against mine. 
Well, I'll see you at sunrise or something, she says. Yeah, I'll see you then. She turns and takes off into the next room. I hear the small pad of her feet disappear before I make a move. A couple of distant pocks echo through the city. I turn to make my way out the same way Billy and I had come in. She headed north, so my plan was to head south and see if I could stay out of trouble. I go back to the first floor. Screw that window that I came through. I search the edge of the ground floor trying to find a side that empties out into an alley. I find a small back door and get into the alley. Getting back to the edge of the street, I peek my head out. Still no signs of life. I start a jog across the street. Puck, puck. There's that same distant zipping noise as bits of ground begin to explode. I have to make a juke and dive back into the alley. The guy had gotten much more accurate and nearly blew my foot off. I lean against the alley panting, trying to figure out what to do. I sit there for a few minutes before I get an idea. A dumb one, but whatever. I walk back down the alley. There's a hole in the wall to the building of the sewing factory I was in earlier. I have to leave my gun back in the alley to fit through the hole. Hopefully I won't be in here too long. When I climb through, I pull out my buck knife and unsheathe it. It's really, really dark in this hallway, and I have a hard time keeping quiet as I trip over the debris. A panting noise springs up on one side of me. I don't know where it's coming from at all. I stay absolutely still, barely breathing, which is hard when it's most important. I stay still for another minute or two, listening to the panting. I think it's a sleeping dog in a cubicle or something. So I keep moving, much more carefully now, as the sound dissipates once I get far enough away. There's a bit of light on my left, so I follow it. It takes me back to the small lobby room at the bottom of the stairs. Back into darkness as I climb up the steps, moving much more slowly now that I'm by myself. I get to the room which had the sewing machines in it. I walk up to one of the desks and open the drawer. Nothing. I check another. Nothing. I check several more and don't find anything else. <laughs> I wander my way to the hallway where there's the small offices. The first office I go in is missing the door. I open up the desk. Jackpot! There's nearly three full rolls of string in here. I quickly stuff them into my pocket and head back the way I came. Now, you may ask me why I don't just keep sneaking my way through buildings to a different area away from that sniper. Well, there's two reasons. One, I left my gun back there. And two, the block I'm on ends in one of the main streets of Titan's playground. And according to Billy, that's not a place I really want to be. So I have to get across the street that's being sniped and work my way further into the playground before some others come looking for me. I fear I have been attracting quite a bit of attention. Getting back to that first floor, I retrace my steps to the dark hallway, carefully walking to not make a noise. The panting is still there, still in the same monotone fashion. I crawl through the hole at the end of the wall, which is a bitch as I tear the crotch in my pants. My gun is still in the alley. I shoulder it and run back into the building with the guy that Billy shot. I climb up the stairs to the fourth floor. He's still right there where I left him too. Things are looking up for old Chuck. I take the three rolls of string and start wrapping them around the neck of the dead guy. I tie it off to make sort of a noose. Then I drag the dead guy over to the window and push him up standing and make him lean against the wall next to the window. I set the three rolls of string on the ground, unholster my gun and poke it lightly through the window. Ka-clam! That should hopefully get someone's attention.
I go out into the hall and find a tipped over chair and set it on the opposite side of the window frame from the leaner. I take my string and loop it around the chair, so when I pull them, hopefully the guy will tip over into the window. It's time to move. I bring the rolls of string with me, letting out line as I go. At the end of the hallway, there's a window frame that I drop the rolls out of. I quickly make my way downstairs, back to the alley where the rolls are waiting. I bring them with me to the corner of the alley. I take a deep breath and tug them. The familiar pocking starts as I hear the window pane shatter. I can tell that the distraction worked. I run and make it to the other side and dive back through the window frame that Billy and I were once peeking out of. I rub the dust off my vest in a ceremonial gesture, but there's cold blood splattered all over it. I look back. The leaner had leaned out so far that his body was hanging out of the window. There were a couple gouges in him, where the snipers must have been tagging him. It's time to get out of here. The block I'm on is pretty huge. I run through the ground levels of four massive buildings. This takes me about an hour and a half. At each alley, I usually wait a couple of minutes before venturing outwards. In the fifth building I'm in, I start to hear a commotion up ahead. I enter an old corner venue of the building, and I can see the street intersection from back here. There's a person. I duck behind the counter at the back of the room. A barrel fire across the intersection I'm looking at illuminates the street. A blue man is hobbling down the middle of the street. He's clearly injured. Howling and barking emanates from a pack of hungry dogs that's chasing him. He fires his gun backwards into the pack, but he's too focused on hobbling to aim very well. A small pit bull leaps and grabs the man by his vest collar. The pit bull does a weird jerk of its head that flips the man forward, smacking him into the ground. The other dogs catch up seconds later. I leave through the back door of the room I'm in. I must be in some boxing factory, because the biggest room in the center of this building, which is pretty much the whole building, is a large series of conveyor belts with old moldy cardboard all over it. There's a staircase in the back of the room that ascends to a catwalk that runs around the rim of the large conveyor belt room, leading to a small office. This looks like a decent place to check out for now. It's hard to keep my feet quiet on the metal stairs and the catwalk. This will be good for detection. I make it up to the office pretty quietly and gently open up the door. Inside, there's a desk turnover, which has been shot up. Behind the desk, there is a window visible. Not too big, but the nice part is, is that the blinds have been drawn, save for a few tattering of bullets. I walk behind the desk, and there's got to be more than 200 shells on the ground. I leave the door ajar behind me. I figure I'll be able to know if someone's here. But I don't leave it all the way open, so I can just sort of lean over and peek out. I can hear the dogs growling out in the street. I go to the window to peek through the blinds. There's close to 30 dogs out there, all swarming that blue, blue man. But now, there's a man standing behind the dogs. Not a blue man, just some bearded hobo. As the dogs get done with their turn on the body, they walk over to the man and get pets from him. Personally, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to shoot the man. He wasn't wearing a blue vest. And I certainly didn't want to piss off those dogs in any way. Suddenly, the dogs had an exodus and ran elsewhere.
The clearing had left a large discolored stain with some tattered clothes and a gun in the middle. The stain was patchy, like it had been lapped up by hundreds of tongues. The man walked through it and picked up the clothes and threw them in the nearest barrel fire, and then left to follow the pack of dogs where they had gone. I sat there for several minutes before I went down to the stain. The coast appeared to be clear, and nothing happened, so I ran out and grabbed the gun that was left for me. I ran back up to the room before I examined it. I didn't realize it down there, but it's a fucking Mac 10. I dropped the clip, but it was empty. But 4mm ammo was cheap and common. It had a little strap on it so I could holster it over me. The night wore on. I stayed in that office for hours, watching the intersection. Every now and then, bullets echoed down the street. There was also some good howling sessions in some distant parts of the city. The intersection I was on was big. I was in the shortest building on it, so I tried to stay hidden as I peeked through the blinds. There was a monstrous black building that had a series of large columns that ran to the ground floor of it. To my left was an apartment, I think, and to my right, from what I remember, was a metal warehouse, but I couldn't really get an angle on it. The sky was starting to lighten a little. The street looked like it was alive, like it was covered in a liquid and was moving. I couldn't tell what it was. It flooded all the gutters. I stared at it for a while, trying to figure out what it was. The scratching, the little squeaking noises. Until I realized that this liquid that was filling the streets was rats. Swarms of rats coming out of the sewers. They seemed to be especially interested in the stain below my building and cleaned up what barely remained. I spotted a man now who was running under the columns of the building across the street. He stopped at a column leaned out, looked back, and fired a couple rounds out of a handgun. He ran out across the intersection, pushing the rats away, like a deterrent to a liquid. A second man now came out chasing him. I holstered my rifle and looked down the iron sights. I took a shot at the man closest to me. Clam! It was a direct hit. His shoulder cocked back as he stumbled forward. The man pursuing him took nose and ducked behind one of the columns, staying out of sight for me. Several minutes passed. The rats began swarming over the guy I had shot, slowly picking and chewing at him, turning him into a pincushion. After enough waiting, I run down the catwalk to the ground level. I peek out of that corner venue I was in earlier. The other man who was chasing me was nowhere to be seen. I run out to the body, the rats clearing a path for me, but not wanting to give up their meal. I grab the pistol that's been cast away. I start to go for the pink slips when a rat bites my hand. I draw back, then go back in. Bites, and then more bites. I start punching the rats away as I quickly grab a bundle of pink slips. Then I go into the breast pocket and pull out one that is neatly folded and stuff it in with the rest. I run out of there, my hands dripping blood. I make it back into the boxing warehouse. The sun is almost about to break the horizon. The sky is that grayish, bluey purple. I have to meet back up with Billy. I start working my way through the block, hurrying but not being reckless. The sun is up by this time, and I hit the street in front of the sewing factory. All the rats have retreated back to the sewers by this point. I check up and down the street several times. The fog still hangs in the air, but has turned orange now. I walk across the street. No bullets are fired at me this time. I hop through a window pane and run inside. I make it back to the coat check room. Billy spins around, gun drawn. 
Chuck, she says, letting her gun fall to her side, giving me a hug. I nearly gave up on you. Yeah, sorry I'm late. It's cool. How'd your night go? Good. I got one right as the rats started to come out. Sweet. Get any loot? I showed her the MAC-10 and the pistol that had been covered in tiny bite marks. I see they got your hands, too, she said, giggling. Yeah, you get anything cool? Check out this fucking thing, she said, unsheathing a two-foot straight blade with a ruby in the handle. What? Yeah, some psycho tried to power play with me. Well, we should get out of here. Yeah, I've had enough for one night. Part 5 Billy and I hide our gear in an old shitty-looking house near the portal. We walk down the streets of Titan's Wharf holding hands. Thanks for coming, she says. I had fun, I said laughing a bit. Because really, I did have fun. She smiles at me. So you want to do it again sometime? Of course. We keep walking. Billy follows me to the divide. But something's wrong. There are no guards. I lean over the booth and there's a cup of coffee on the counter, but there's no signs of a struggle. I lean over and pick up the cup. It's still warm, so I might as well keep it. Billy jumps over the counter and starts looting through the drawers of the desk. She throws old pieces of paper and debris over her shoulder. Aha, she says, pulling out a fat key ring. I bet this opens all sorts of cool shit, she says, fingering through the keys. A loud bang echoes out several blocks away. Billy and I perk up, still on killer instincts. Let's go check it out. She says, leaving the booth in disarray. We jog down the streets of the vendor's market. It's still early, but unusually void of people. I hear that bang again, this time much closer. It came from down Hennepin Ave. Jafar's is on Hennepin. As Billy and I run down the street, my old house Jafar's has had the window, which had been previously boarded up, broken out, which could only lead me to believe that. Bang! That same explosion, this time deafening. Billy pointed over to an elementary school across the street that had a man-made erected ramp on the side of it. And sure enough, there was a huge barrel hanging out of the second story. We run up it to see Walt. What's going on? I shout at Walt, covering my ears. Bang! As Walt pulls the firing cord. Look for yourself, man. Walt hands me his military binoculars. The orange haze has slightly lifted off the town. In the distance, it's hard to make out, but it looks like a scuffle. Look above Winchester's house, Walt said, lugging a shell out of a duffel bag. I turned to look over, and there was Winchester Abraham, hung up above his house, wearing a bright blue vest. Billy lets out a giggle. What's going on, Walt? I don't know. Bang! It started this morning. People were running through the streets saying Abraham's been killed. They hung up his body to show. Well, anyways, people ended up saying it was a roughneck assassin, so the shit was on. What? 
War started this morning, Chuck. Hey, B, what are you doing here? Long story, Billy said, sitting on the floor. So what about this war? The gorillas attacked the roughneck post at dawn. Word is most of them died. And the gorillas have left themselves walled behind the borders. What? I say, palming my forehead. The scuffle in the distance sounds grow louder and louder. So is that the roughnecks over there? I say, pointing to the scurry. They broke through the city limits about 30 minutes ago. Wall pushes another round into the howitzer, firing out just past the scurry. From here, it looks like a small bubble popping. From here, a building looks like a small bubble popping as it sprays a wave of bricks. Can I try? Billy says. Sure, Walt replies enthusiastic. Billy wavers slightly under the weight of the shell. Need a hand with that? Walt says. I got it, I got it. Billy hobbles over, cranes her body, and shoves the shell in and slams the door shut. So how do I aim this thing? These cranks here. And this shows you the distance, Walt said, pointing to the aiming sights. Billy chews on her lips as she squints through the sights and plays with the knobs. Without warning, she rips the firing cord. A building explodes to the front left of the scuffle. Oh, damn, Billy huffs. Walt laughs. Yeah, it takes a little practice. So, Walt, I say. Yeah, what are we doing here? I'm just sitting here until things heat up. Can we go anywhere? I don't know. Billy fires off another shot, this time landing in the center of the scuffle. She gives an enthusiastic kick. Hey, now watch our guys, Walt says, putting a hand up. Sorry, Billy says, hanging her head. I turn to Walt. So the gorillas aren't coming. Nope. Is the compound coming? Haven't seen him, Walt says. But I've been setting up Georgia all morning. You can't really expect me to know everything. Billy sneaks back to the duffel bag. But you were in the army, Walt. Didn't they teach you how to read battlefields? Hey now, don't be crossing my battle senses. I got eyes on the back of my motherfucking head. No, I mean like how to read what your teammates' plans are. Oh, I don't know that shit. I'm just here, man. Someone gives me an order and I bring my here with me. Bang! A drugstore with a small clock tower erupted behind the skirmish. Wahoo! Billy pumps her arms up and down in the air. Did you see that shot? Nice shot, I say a little preoccupied. Nice shot? That was pure cadmium! Next one's crimson. She said, skipping her way back to the bags of shells. So what's the game plan, I say to Walt, staring at Billy as she bends over rummaging through the duffel bag. Walt? Let's play it by ear. I have a better idea. Are you cool leaving your gun with Billy? She seems to have the hang of it. Okay, let's blockade off this school. Defend your gun. We should grab all our weapons and ammo, bring them over. Can I do that while you start blockading this place? Sure, Walt says. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll be back in a minute. I say, taking off at a jog. Oh, look under my desk. Why, I say as I run down the stairs. A little secret down there. Okay, I say, as I take off running down the street back to Jafar's. Getting inside of Jafar's, the place is far more destroyed than it normally is. I run over to Walt's gun cabinet. It was empty. I walk into my room and find three children scrounging around in my desk side table. You little. I say as I grab for them. They were all wearing backpacks full of loot. I tried to grab all of them, but only managed to snag one by his handle bag. He squirms to ditch his bag as I yank him over. Fuck off, he says in his eight-year-old voice as he kicks me with his dirty bare feet. I try and interrogate him, but he's totally unresponsive. I end up tying him up and leaving him on the ground. I grab the backpack the kid was using and throw it over my back. Untie me, the kid shouts. I ignore him as I feel under Walt's desk. A Walter PPK with a full carbon silencer. The other thing I want to grab is Walt's M60. He keeps it hidden in the floorboards. 
Look what I got! I say, announcing to Walt as I walk back up to the school. I had a thin beam over my shoulder. At the back end was an M60 wrapped in a bedsheet like a bindle, and dangling over the front end of the, of the beam was a small, dirty, hogtiled child. They looted most of our shit. You roughneck boy! Wald shouted, pointing a fat sausage finger in the kid's face. He muttered something. Billy was still up at the school, firing the howitzer. I got your M60, however. And this, I said, pulling out the Walter PPK. Little do. I got one rifle and ammo, so at least we got three guns. And this, I said, jingling my backpack full of ammo and hustlers. What have you got done here? Check it out, Wald said, pointing down the road. Several skeletons of cars were set up with old desks and shelves piled against them, essentially making a six-foot wall with a raised walkway behind it. The street across from the school was pretty dense with boarded-up shops. There was a few alleys that would need attending to, but in a couple of hours, Walt and I could hopefully have the full city block to ourselves. We leave the kid and the guns by the school, except for the Walter, which Walt tucks into his pants. With one wall done, we start to work on the other side. Having a guy like Walter is extremely helpful in cases like these, seeing as how I have never had a meaningful workout day in my life. Screams start to echo from nearby. The loud revving of motorbikes blots them out. I run over to peer over the busted car wall. People are coming around the corner down the street several blocks away. They make it a short distance when four mounted roughnecks come banging around the corner on loud motorbikes. They're dressed in their classic full canvas, which is billowing in the wind behind them. Two of them are wearing motorbike helmets that are covered with pointy shit stuck on the outside. The big chopper has some sort of bucket helmet on. The roughnecks accelerate towards the crowd. Sod shoddies and bats start to lay the people to waste. I look up and see that Billy has cranked the artillery cannon all the way down. Bang! The three front motorbikes, as well as some civilians, explode into a plume of fire. Shrapnel rains down from the sky. Several remaining survivors climb down the wall as the lone roughneck turns and pops a wheelie as he accelerates back out of sight. Yo, T-Rex, I say to a large muscular man that's climbing the wall. He doesn't respond. Yo, T, I say again. What's up, dude? Fuck off, man. Whoa, what's the deal? What's the deal? That's the deal, he said, pointing up to Billy, who's gaily playing with the cannon. You killed G, man, T-Rex said, with small beads welling in his eyes. Look, man, I'm so... Fuck off, T-Rex said, pushing me away. I look over T-Rex's shoulder. A glint is flying in the air. Duck, I shout as I dive to get out of the way. T-Rex literally puts his hands over his head as he ducks. A flaming bottle lands two feet next to him, shattering into a hot lake of fire. T-Rex runs, screaming, fully engulfed in flames. Some of the survivors take off after him. Pop, ding! I recognize that. I get back in the school and climb up to the second story. Billy is furiously spinning the wheels. Next to her, there is an upside-down ginger boy, leaning against a beam. His face is bright red. I tip him over with my foot. Ha! Bang! As Billy rips the cord, shooting the shops right in front of the school. I see what looked like to be some snipers go flying. You gotta take over, man. My arms are getting tired, Billy says to me. Here, says Walt, as he picks up what remains of the shells and places them next to the cannon. The shop that was there is now a flaming crater. Down the street, I can hear motorbikes approaching. Walt runs over to the window. We've got one of yours, he shouts out as several bullets hit the window frame. Walt runs back and grabs the kid and holds him up in the window. 
I look out to see a wall of cyclists stopped outside of our barrier. He's one of yours, Walt shouts again, holding the kid up by the knot. And? I hear over the murmur of the motorcycles. We'll kill him, Walt says. Do it! Walt's eyes widen as he sees a mass of guns unshouldered. He ditches the kid out of the window. Bullets rain down on the elementary school. Billy pulls the cord, blowing a huge portion of the crowd apart and damaging the wall. How do they not get that? Billy says as she reaches down for some more ammo. Men are now running through the crater where the shop used to be and the crater in the wall and are flooding the street outside the school. Before I know it, I hear the jingle of Walt walking down the stairs with his M60. This is totally fucked. Walt is screaming downstairs, going Rambo. I give Billy a look. Should we leave? That'd be nice, she says, smiling up at me. I pour the duffel bag out and bring it with me to the window. Hooking it on the remains of a frame, I use it as a fake rope to hop into the back alley. Billy jumps down and I catch her in my arms. Walt is still screaming inside and firing sporadically. The school is pretty worn down and there's a hole in the wall, so Billy and I go into stealth mode as we slink by. I get a small glimpse of the carnage that is ensued inside the school, and if there wasn't so many damn roughnecks, I bet Walt would actually win this war. Billy and I sneak out of the vendor's market, and as we hit the divide, I hear a massive explosion coming up from the elementary school. We make our way through Titan's Wharf. There's people running as fast as they can past us, while others have curled up into balls. Through Titan's Wharf, we make it over to the entrance of the compound. Once we get close, a spotlight hits us. Back away or we'll shoot, comes from a megaphone. The border is blockaded and shut down. The suburbanites are deciding to hope that this one blows over while they sit behind their iron walls. I fucking live here, you cunt! Billy shouts at them. You have five seconds to comply. Four. Three. A piece of shit! Billy shouts as she flicks him a hard bird. Billy and I slowly walk down the street, knowing what was coming. We hang our heads solemnly. Well, should we go back into the playground? Billy asks me. I think for a sec. That's not a terrible idea, I say smiling at her. Billy and I get our guns and vests and re-enter the playground. We didn't know what else to do. We stuck together until nighttime. We climbed on top of a tower, both in our sparkling blue vests, as we watched the raiders pillage and burn. So you really don't remember that first night we spent together, huh? No, not really. Why? I said, pulling her up against me. Oh, okay. Well, so if you don't remember, you're going through my clothes, and you found my blue vest. Yeah? Yeah, so I told you about the game, and you totally freaked out about it. You want to start playing, like, right away. <laughs> really? Yeah, you were pretty fucked up, I think, though. And I told you the rumor that it was made up by that guy Winchester. Winchester Abraham, I asked curiously. Yeah, you seem to know who he was. Anyways, I think you were all pumped up on machismo. I wanted to show me you were manlier than he was. So we ended up staking out his house. Oh, no. Well, we were in his bushes for a while anyways. We ended up having sex back there. But shortly after, you saw Winchester Abraham's lights go on and then off. And we saw him throw a trench coat over a bright blue vest. No. Yeah, after that I knew what happened that night was right. I didn't meet you by chance. Billy says, snuggling up, as she leans her head on my shoulder. My blue man. The night was clear for the first time in my memory, and Billy and I snuggled in the cold open air. We watched from atop our decrepit tower as buildings lit ablaze. Across an open ocean of moonlight, the cross on the top of the compound burned to the ground. 
We watched as our game became a reality. That concludes part two of Billy Blue. The Diode was written, read, composed, and produced by myself, Simon Lacey. Thanks for tuning in.